0: We're going to be doing a
1: lot of these. We're going to start posting on YouTube at Nerd Community Discord in our own Discord. We're going to post those links uh, under the video and then Twitter at Nerd United One. Uh, my name is Dallin Curry. I'm a product manager here at Nerd. Um, I'm going to be doing most of this, uh, the questions here today. My co hosts are Connor McLeod and Cameo Dor- Duran. Cameo Duran. Uh, like Duran, Duran. Duran Duran. That's what I was told um we'd love to hear from you guys talk about where what you're doing here and why we're all here to talk today starting with cameo because Connor strength
0: all right i'm cameo duran and i'm i'm actually between titles here at nerd i used to be vp of products for the brands. So we're an incubator here and i'm now my title is chief community officer vp of community for um, Nerd United
2: right now. Um, So that's me. Yeah, I'm Connor McLeod. I am SVP of products for Prime um, and a whole host of things. My unofficial title, Chief Meme Officer. (laughs) um, Everybody's chief of something and Mm -hmm. I'm chief of memes. That's delightful. And nicknames. And I am very good at nicknames. I am very For good at yourself or for others? Mostly for others. Okay.
0: <laughs> Their opinion of the that might change, but <laughs> yeah, that's the best
1: part. They, yeah. So I mentioned it before, this is the innovative community podcast. We kind of just want to get started on the topic today, which is we're gonna go with intro to innovation. Intro to innovation kind of get everybody started, new viewers who are not really familiar with the topic. And advanced, users, or advanced viewers who, you know, are going to understand what we're talking about from the get-go, right? So we had a couple of ideas for questions to get things started. Um, and I think our favorite one was... Um, Should
2: we intro ourselves, like, what we do? Yeah, we'd love that. Our backgrounds. I mean, we yeah. you know who we are. How'd you on? get here? How'd you get here? Okay, I can go. Yeah. Um, let's see. I have always loved learning. I am, while I was in at college, I ended up in... This group of professors who are studying innovation and entrepreneurship space ended up starting a startup out of that. That was hardware, which forced us to be interdisciplinary, meaning mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, computer science, business, marketing, all that stuff, and just really fell in love with the idea of interdisciplinary innovation, meaning people who have totally different backgrounds speak different languages when they talk about products and building things. And bringing them together to try to build something, so I started this startup as a door-opening startup for that used Bluetooth to open doors for people when they got near it. So primarily people with cerebral palsy or, or other mobility disabilities. Um, founded that. That ended up getting into Y Combinator, which was which was a hoot. Raised a little bit of money. I ended up leaving that to do recommendations and search systems at Ancestry. Um, which is kind of their bread and butter which was a ton of fun learned a lot same thing i, I really got to work with tons of phds in data science dna scientists um, professional genealogists the marketing team and just really leaned into that interdisciplinary innovation part um, from there i ended up at jp morgan chase kind of doing something similar but way different data sets um, for their investment bank on the public side initially, so building recommendations and search and discovery tools for the salesperson, the trader, the quants across all of the desks for all of the different types of financial instruments. Um, And and had some success there and ended up scaling that to the whole firm. So and Chase, public side wholesale payments, you know, there's almost 30 businesses under the JP Morgan Chase umbrella officially. Um, And then now I'm here. So I met met some of the nerds here at NERD and uh, was given this vision of how can we enable the world to innovate? How can we enable any team to really drive that? And um, that's what I love. So here we
1: are. That's great. That's great. I have follow-up questions, but we'll get to them. Uh, cameo.
0: Okay. Um, I joined a startup many, many years ago, 2006. It was a SaaS company. Except we didn't call it that back then honestly that wasn't a thing. thing. It was just software and it happened to be in the cloud We also didn't call it the cloud, but um, it was just software on the internet Um, And it was a network marketing startup Um, there were six of us and we were in the Very awesome situation where we had dedicated customers and we had money coming in um, because there just weren't a lot of people building that type of software at the time it was back office software and So we had money which was pretty good, but we were completely bootstrapped and what that meant is like my role was QA project management product management and customer support That meant that when people would come and say hey, this is what we need the software to do it was super early stage software like there wasn't even anything There wasn't any way for people to manage users. I had to do it all. Like it was, it was shocking that we had any customers at all, but there just wasn't any competitors. So they'd come to me and they'd say, Hey, I need, I need this X, Y, Z functionality. And I'd sit down with the engineers, everything would always take way too long. Customers would be mad. And then inevitably when we would say, okay, here's the thing you've been waiting for. They'd be like, that's not what I wanted. You and I sat here and talked about this. That's you totally screwed it up you know and then it was so frustrating to realize especially if you're bootstrapping and your choices mean whether or not you're going to lose that next customer or we did a lot of custom development for our customers for extra revenue like a lot of early stage companies do and the margin for error on picking the right wrong thing to build or building the thing that they are sure that they want wrong it it just was super obvious to me. So I worked there for five years and then sold my share and got out and went to work for a custom software company here in Utah um, that at the time was the biggest software consulting company, I think in Utah and worked, initially worked for Western Governors. We were in the process of completely re-platforming them, completely redoing their customer experience and I was put over that entire project, um, which was a you know, multi-million dollar project and really had some aspirational goals. Western Governors is a fantastic university because they are quite innovative of how they look at education, but you still gotta name, nail that user experience. And so did that. Um, I worked at that company for almost 11 years and it gave me an opportunity to, well, for one thing, if you're a passionate agilist, consulting and any custom development or any um, higher development is anti-agile out of the gate. And one of the things that I realized pretty early on as I was predominantly the one who would write the proposals was that there was no way we could deliver on the commitments that we were committing, but even worse, when we nailed it, <laughs> most of the time that still meant that the customer was unhappy because the product, they hadn't thought through what the product should be. Yeah. And so I started wondering how could I change the conversation from the first moment that someone says I want a piece of software to make them reconsider if in fact that is what they wanted or needed or how can you de-risk before you build. That happened to coincide really nicely with design thinking starting to become really, really popular design sprints. It was a little before the book Sprint came out, but we started running sprints heavily as a way to help companies actually determine what they were going to build before they invested and we wouldn't even bid any anything until they had gone through a design sprint, and we had identified if the product was right if it was going to be and we lost a lot of business you know because we were turning people away because we would take them through a design sprint, we'd say oh gosh it looks like there's not actually would, we wouldn't even say it. They would say, oh, it looks like there's not actually a market for the thing. I was going to spend a half a million dollars. Um, and it wasn't always very popular with the people who owned the company, honestly. Because we did lose a lot of lose, you know? I mean, yeah. if you don't care what, what the outputs are, then you probably, or the outcomes for the company. Anyway, um, that led me, I think, into an obsession with how do you build the right thing? Yeah. And, and why would you ever build something that wasn't the right thing? What a stupid waste of time and money. So, yeah. Some and then I worked costs. for a big consultancy um, uh, that, that consulted with agile consulting for very large companies. I worked with Ford, I worked with, worked with Lockheed Martin, I worked with Mary Kay, and so mostly get, with Ford. Did you get a
2: pink car? No. no
0: <laughs> they don't give the, you the pink car, so you have to pay for them. Oh. So the whole thing's a lie. Oh, That's, um, that's, <laughs> that's works. It's yeah. The way it works is you have to have sacrificed four of your neighbors every month to oh. uh, to the network marketing <laughs> Um and working with companies at scale. The best thing about that was understanding how how large organizations see their investments and their their spend on technology, because one of the biggest barriers I think to innovation is. It happens outside of technology. It happens in the CFO's office.
2: Even those words, they're technology spend.
0: Yes. Yeah. Right. 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 It's it's not our. This is our our investment in our company. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. It's 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 operating costs. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Yeah, but everybody, almost nobody tr- treats development as an opex. They all mm-hmm. treat it as capex. Yeah. And. And then they do funny things in the accounting
1: office so that they can mask the fact that a lot of what they build is crap. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Well, uh, really okay. on that point, like you, you kind of described this process of you started by creating the wrong stuff all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Because the users, the your your audience, often thought that they knew what they wanted. How did how did you get to a process where you were able to focus more? And you kind of spoke to it a little bit, but How does building the wrong thing consistently help you inform how to build the right thing?
0: Uh, For me, it was more seeing thought leadership coming out of specifically Google Ventures. Um, When they said the early conversations around design sprints, this is about 2014, 2013, they were using them and they were pretty excited because there were a lot of the people who were involved in, in, in GV who were kind of out yelling into, into development communities about, oh, this really cool thing we figured out mm-hmm. where, hey, what if you took your engineers and your whole team and you sat them down for a week and, and gosh, maybe bring the business people in. I'll bet your marketing person would love to participate. That your sales lead would love to participate. And everybody's gonna spend the first three days in the problem space, or the first two and a half days in the problem space until we all understand it, and then we're gonna converge and figure out a solution. You start to, you see those articles and you think, gosh, could I do that? And I was fortunate that I had a boss that um, was encouraging and was maybe crazy enough and enough hands off that he just didn't care what we did. So we started playing with it. Yeah. Um, and it was, well, it was cool to see the engineers, it changed how they thought about the work they were gonna do. It was cool to see sales change how they thought about the constraints that are on the technical teams. Right. And what, and you know, their willingness to rethink what their demands were when they could understand. You know, it's hard to have empathy for your coworkers until you sit in, in, in a conversation really immersively and try and solve a problem together right
2: how, how do you there's this like there's this concept that i've been thinking about so much of why people are afraid of that it's like i call it lying in the water okay there's like you're going fishing you're like it takes you 30 minutes to get to wherever you're gonna fish 30 okay. minutes to get back and okay. you only have okay. like four hours <laughs> if you spend an hour with a tangled line Then you had less line in the water
0: yeah no that that makes sense and
2: i think and so i'm curious to hear how you convinced all these companies to do this because it feels like a lot of executives are dead set on line in the water means fingers on keyboards coding for developers Mm -hmm. like if your fingers aren't then you can't be catching fish your line's not in the water
0: you know every single Maybe not every single one, but I've, I've done hundreds of design sprints. Most of them with an executive in the room, mm-hmm. because we wouldn't even let them come unless they had a senior decider. We we won't go through the effort unless yeah. the person who has to hold the decision is there to make the decision. Yep, it's also a
1: really good sales tactic. That's it's really true. effective.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, every single senior executive on like day two, when when it's like. Oh, we're having hard conversations about what's gonna stay and what's gonna go. Yeah. Almost every one of them a the line would come, we already know what we need to build. We just need to get moving. Yeah. Right? Like your line in the right, water. Get it's physically painful for them. And yeah. I'd always be like, no. You not know. only do we not know <laughs> what we need to build, but the last hour has convinced me that we were wrong about everything we already talked yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. Um I think you have to market to them the, the pain. Mm. Um, we had a, our value proposition was, most development fails, spend a week with us, we will mm. give you a validated idea, or a validatable idea, mm. um, you know, a semi-validated idea, and a ready-to-develop roadmap. Mm. We also had decent amount of data and a whole lot of social proof yeah. of people saying, I accomplished more, me and my team accomplished more in one week than we have in the last six months. Because people would come out with decisions made. Yep. Um, alignment. Alignment and- across the team, a complete roadmap, and like we could pretty consistently take products to market after that in three to four months, which mm, sure. most people can't ever say that they can get a product to market in three to four months, mm. especially when with any level of complexity. Yeah,
2: and zero validation behind it. Well, maybe no. yeah. yeah, three months has not validated yeah Good right luck.
0: so I, I, but it still was a hard sell and we lost a lot of
2: yeah. business
0: especially because I wouldn't tell people what their software was going to cost them until they had gone through the process Did anyone
2: ever cancel like midway through <laughs> they're like day yes. two I can't do this yes
0: the bucked up guys really <laughs> we were but <laughs> really? it wasn't their bucked up product they were gonna build they oh, had the a, yeah they yeah. had a, a product that was an instagram product and they were going to build a linkedin version. And we got through day two, and they didn't throw up their hands, they realized that there wasn't, that it was, we invalidated by day two, and they were like, oh, there's not a product here. Yeah, cool. We're out of here. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks for your time. <laughs> nice.
1: That's interesting, because you actually took me through my first design sprints uh-huh. um, in my career, yeah, and we've we've, we've a handful of them, different brands, right, getting through it. And there's something to be said about bringing the different disciplines in. You know, when, when people are trying to this, uh, solve the same problem, but from different angles, you really get a, a lot of different things that you hadn't considered before. Mm-hmm. I was, this was actually gonna be my follow-up to you when you did your intro, is you had these multidisciplinary teams. You have this giant diversity of thought. How did that help you with your innovation process, having different ways to look at it?
2: Yeah, I think it, it comes to framing and communication for me. When I, whenever I have someone telling me this is the thing, I know it. I always ask how they know. And usually if it's validated, I'm like, okay, let's, let's go for it. But if it's not, I always try to press to get them to actually articulate it. Yeah. Cause typically they can't really articulate. They may be articulate what it is at a high level, sometimes at a low level, but usually they can't articulate why. And so when you bring multiple people with different backgrounds, they like literally. I've been in conversations with, like an electrical engineer, computer engineer, and they're talking about the product that I'm helping them build. And I don't understand like a single thing they're saying, um, and and it's not even the technical stuff. Right. They just use different vocabulary. So then I think when you get all these different people, they they're thinking about they've been taught to structure and solve problems with different different ways. And so then when you have all these people who have different backgrounds, right, then they're going to to bring a totally different perspective. This is the value of diversity. Right. And and, and one of the many values is that someone who comes from a totally different background than me is going to approach a problem and an opportunity totally different than I do. And we might land in the same place of what we're doing, but that unique perspective of an interdisciplinary team just only adds, decreases the amount of ambiguity and uncertainty because they are approaching from a different perspective.
1: Do you find any challenges in um, finding a, you know, talking talking with these these really advanced people? Do you have any challenges with having like common language?
2: Oh yeah, in the group? absolutely. Yeah, I think that's why if if you know all these companies say they're customer first. In my opinion, one of the re- the values of that is if you're always if everyone's talking about the customer and the customer's experience in their journey, then that anchors people to the same spot. Mm-hmm. So, you, I mean, you can only get so far away from the customer talking about board design right. and how that affects them, then instead of you start at board design. Um, I think that's the value of it. That's awesome. So those were our introductions.
1: Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've, we actually kind of pulled up some some questions, wrote some notes down, wanted to... Just, this was more of an intro, right? Yeah. So the first one is... and. and I challenge you to do this because we just spent 20 minutes attempting this. <laughs> what is your definition of innovation in
2: one sentence? Connor gets to go 1st
0: I'm typing it,
2: I'm typing it.
0: Chat
2: dot. <laughs> um, I think any innovation is a new method or, or a new way let's say a unique way to accomplish the goals of some organization uh, in a way that makes that organization that accomplishes sorry a new way to accomplish some target customer or group uh, accomplish their goal that also accomplishes the goals of the organization doing it so i used to say it's, it's a new way that makes a viable business but i think that Nonprofits mm-hmm. can innovate and they're sure. they're not trying to they're not trying to make a viable business they're trying to proliferate their message or accomplish their goals throughout the world and they can do that with a new method you know whatever so that's 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 where my definition is a new like a, a novel or unique way to to solve some to create value for some group that accomplishes the organization's goals that was one sentence he did it
1: Commas. Co- that's fine. Polen, that's fine. That's fine. Punctuation is allowed.
0: Great. I, and I think of, of innovation as successfully implementing new ideas. Um, you know, I mean, they don't have to be business ideas. I, you can innovate in education and, yeah. and do things that could change the world that nobody at least in the short term, profits on. Um, so, I, I mean, ideally, innovation is new ideas that solve problems that humans have. Yeah. Um, we talked a lot here about the difference between incremental innovation and breakthrough innovation. There are a lot of examples in the world of like humans doing truly astronomical breakthrough things. Sure. You know yeah. the the landing of the man on the moon when you know 1962 and JFK said we're gonna do it. We didn't have the ability to do it, right? It wasn't it wasn't that we were cu- most of the way there and we we were just gonna have to pull it off. We literally didn't know how to do any of that stuff. That's pretty remarkable, but you know we also fixed the ozone, the hole in the ozone, and we. There are lots of, and a lot of that was policy change, right? So I, I that was not a sentence, but. <laughs>
1: no, it's that's actually interesting to me because when a lot of times when people are talking about innovation, you know, the the people listening hear you know some new protocol for sending fun, some some game changer, mm-hmm. but really you can do it in increments. You can actually make big changes mm-hmm. in little bits. And that's 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 a little more difficult to define, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a lot more easy to
0: accomplish. When you look at how we use cell phones today, mm-hmm. it's the, cell phones are a perfect example of an incremental innovation. The first couple of cell phones were wildly breakthrough innovation, right? The brick cell phones that they had right. in 1981 when I was a kid, that, it, that was breakthrough innovation it was a phone you could take with you like based
1: on the moon landing co- uh, tech
0: actually based on moon landing tech that they were able to utilize um, every innovation there including the you know our current cell phones was just an increment off of that first cell phone
2: um, it's funny my aunt had this has this bright like purple uh, corvette from the <laughs> 80s with a phone in it. Oh, that's cool! Oh, I remember. Yeah. I remember when I was. I remember in the early '90s riding with her in it, and I would always say, "Oh, can I call my mom?"
0: Because it was still so cool, it was right? Still
2: so cool, and she goes, "Oh, that thing sucks." She <laughs> didn't have a cell phone. She just hated she, that phone. She just thought it was crap.
0: Well, and I'm sure it was.
2: It, well, I'm sure it was. I never. She never <laughs> to use it. And I. I just, that's like. That's the beauty of innovation. like the house phone at that time was still so much better.
0: Well, even now, house phones are remarkable. You don't need electricity for them. Yeah. It's, a, it's kind of when the apocalypse comes, and we wish we still had hard lines into all of our houses yeah. because we can't communicate anymore without cell.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, regular phones were really good. The tech was great. It had withstood 100 years of, and it had been virtually unchanged, actually. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of incremental innovation on phones, although, you know,
2: big phones. Yeah, yeah the <laughs> <Yeah, that's> rotary. <laughs> Form five industrial design
0: innovation.
1: Thank heavens. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so here's a here's an interesting one. I would love to hear, and we've kind of touched on some of this, different forms of innovation processes that you've seen work
0: uh-huh.
1: and ones that you've seen absolutely not work.
2: I'd love to start with the ones that don't. Honestly, we've talked so much about this in the past month. We listened to oh, we, we this podcast from Lenny and John Cutler went around recently, where John Cutler basically says, and he he was he was kind of the product face product expert at Amplitude, mm-hmm. which is very aligned with their business model, right? Selling so product analytics. He was the talking head for that. He he said that in his mind, most things can work if you're committed to it and that you're aligned on it. So. Lenny in the podcast is like grilling him trying to get him to say that feature factories don't work Uh for like 10 minutes and he's basically like look if you have a dictatorial ceo and all the employees love that they'll probably be successful because at least they're aligned moving in the same direction right you know i don't know if i believe that all the way
0: well i i think china would love to to tell you that they that they can say yeah. that that's true. Yeah. They have a very prescriptive, yeah. managerial approach. I guarantee you, they don't have a bunch of empowered teams. Yep. Um. And they they build really breakthrough innovation all the time. They really do. Yeah. A lot of. I mean, they certainly copy a lot of stuff. Yeah. They but, but
2: you know, they've. I mean. They have technologies that we have here that they've proliferated and we can't figure out how to get the user experience right. They do. Like QR codes, like I can't believe that. I went to Slab Pizza the other day and I couldn't pay with my phone. I'd have run to my car, which is a massive inconvenience. <laughs> why didn't you pay, you mean they- I just didn't have my cards with me. I just bring my phone. Oh well, no, but why couldn't they take they, your phone? They didn't have, they didn't have, they didn't have the Apple Pay. That's shocking. I know, like I bought, berries from a 90 year old woman in china with my phone <laughs> like she couldn't take a card i didn't have chinese like i did not have any cash yeah like she literally pulled up her phone and i scanned it and paid her for berries she picked in her field that's incredible And so that's a fair that's a fair point that's a fair point so I, I think it's all about alignment of what what does the employee expect to how how to work what is what are the what do the teams say they're going to do, and then what do they actually do? And if those things are all aligned, I think you can be pretty wildly successful at almost anything. Um, I play this game called Team Fight Tactics. It's, mm-hmm. it's like an auto chess game okay. based on the legends, and uh, there's it's it's all randomized. So like there's tons of. Uh, there's tons of luck involved, but okay. there's also like three key strategies that if you follow, almost always, you're more likely to, to win. So there's eight people playing and it's considered a win if you get a top four. You okay. get plus ELO points if you're top mm-hmm. four, minus ELO points if you're bottom four. So it's like, it's this idea of min-maxing against luck. Like, can you minimize the risk of loss and maximize the possibility of, of winning? And so I think that, I hope, the things we believe about innovation processes are the min max version okay? I can see because that because, like, yeah, maybe a feature factory can work. But are there things? This is my question. Are there? Do you think there are things that fundamentally, if if you do them, will make you more likely to innovate?
0: Mm-hmm. I I think it on is in spite of whatever China has going on, and yeah. I haven't gone and watched you know how they're building software in mm-hmm. on China. Um, I definitely think the way you structure your teams, the way you, what, how you ask people to work is the leading indicator of whether or not you'll be able to, to be successful mm. and build and build innovation. Um, somebody has to want to come up with, with the, how, to, the, how to solve the problem yeah. and care enough about the problem and feel like they have enough ownership for the problem to be able to solve it or yeah. or you I mean you, unless somebody has an idea that can solve a problem you can't innovate because yeah. ideas that innovation is building something that solves a problem right so yeah I think I think the way you structure a team matters and I think it's hard to find a whole bunch of people who want to be um, told what to do yep. right because that's that's Lenny's precursor you would yeah. need an entire society yes. that was okay with being told what to do, which yeah. is what the Chinese have. Yes. We don't have that in America. Yeah. We have a lot of individualism. I would even say in Europe where they're not as individualistic, they still kind of believe that they've got ideas that they can mm-hmm. you know, unique ideas. So empowerment for individuals I think is a huge part. You have to believe that you get to be the one that figures out how to solve the problem.
2: Have you heard this uh, story kicking around about Steve Jobs and the first iPhone? Yeah. Yeah. About how he hated it? He hated it. I, I, re- I read his biography and they talk about the reality distortion field. hmm. This is, I mean, this is the moon landing. He said, We're going to do it. Someone yeah. had some odd, like, outrageous goal. And then the thing that they, people say about Steve Jobs is that he could tell you that you're going to do something impossible and then convince you it was possible interesting this reality distortion field right and so that's 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 really interesting to think about how do you like what is what is the role of the executive in that empowering because if he didn't have that like we can do the impossible mm-hmm. i i question if his people would have stood up to him and said no you're wrong about this phone the phone is the right thing. If he had, have already empowered them for years. No,
0: I, I, you are, you are totally right because Apple's an engineering-driven organization and always has been. Yeah. Because he knew that every minute of his success was because he had an engineering side. Yeah. Right, like he. From the beginning. From the beginning, he he's a marketing guy at heart who realized that if he could let engineers solve the problems, it's why his famous quote of like. We don't hire smart people and tell them what to do yeah he wasn't ta- he was talking about his engineers because he had empowered them for years now that being said I have my own argument about the iPhone I don't think it was that innovative and I don't think that it's actually the iPhone itself that was the major innovation
1: I agree I'm, I'm good. I, I have home
0: three before the iPhone came out that had a full touch screen that was easier for engineers to develop against because it was a PHP based no. language and it was they had functionality that even when the iPhone came out, the iPhone didn't have the ability to move between separate, like tiles um, or separate screens. The iPhone didn't have that. What Apple had that nobody else had was the iTunes. Like the ability, because they had had iTunes for so long, yeah. they had a distribution model yeah. that was a repeatable distribution model. So it's actually the app store that's the innovation, yeah. not the phone. Yeah, because because they needed because the thing that Palm Pre couldn't figure out was how to get people to build on the platform, and then how to get people to come. Like, you got to have a killer app, and Apple nailed the killer yeah, right. app because they have the app, app store. Uh-huh. Right. There's an app for that. There's an app for that. <laughs> I truly believe that's the actual innovation, not the cell phone itself.
2: Interesting.
1: I I agree. The I think they had two. Two big ones. Mm-hmm. First was that they they knew how to leverage digital digital music in a way that hadn't been before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the second was the entire ecosystem. Yeah. You know, I I really enjoy that product line now because of the the way that it interacts with everyone else yeah. in that ecosystem. Right? That I think was fairly innovative uh-huh. um, at the time. It's I think it's almost expected these days. You know, um, but that's kind of what happens with innovation is we all kind of. Yeah. Um, so one of our one of our favorite uh, quotes that we hear from not this isn't a Steve Jobs this is more of a Zuckerberg mm-hmm. the move fast and break stuff. Oh yes. Um, so my question my my final question here is does move stuff move fast and break stuff actually lead to innovation?
0: I think it is a really dumb way of saying something that's absolutely critical um absolutely move fast speed will always be a superpower a a bias for action should be woven through everything that you do um so yeah move fast um but you don't actually have to break stuff because if you choose to validate ideas before you build them that's not the same as breaking you know and, and I think that they're saying you know fail fast is a, is about the same thing but I think the break things is don't hold too tight to an idea of what you want to build don't fall in love with almost anything because if you're moving fast and you're validating ideas you're probably throwing away about 70 percent of what what you might have wanted to build maybe 80
2: Move fast and break stuff. Yeah, I, I, like you said, I think it's more lo- like you should learn as fast as possible. I think it's more about decreasing uncertainty as fast as possible. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's going to require, like, there's whole, I'm, I'm a video game nerd, as you guys are finding out. <laughs> but like the idea of fog of war, like, you can't, there's only so much you can do to decrease the fog of war in some product place before you put something real in front of someone. Like, and so that requires you to build things mm-hmm. and, and, and actually build them, whether that's no code, low code, or an actual product. And you may have all the signals and you have, may have decreased loads of uncertainty. And as soon as you like, put an actual product in front of someone, you're going to learn so much more than what they say because they're going to actually interact with it. You're going to ask them to maybe pay you all the things that tell you whether you can actually, it's actually innovation,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? Like if it's not solving the business's goals or, or then you, then you haven't really validated it all the way. But what is interesting is um, at Facebook, they have too many users for surveys to really be that effective. Like Interesting. How, Too much have, noise. If you have 3 billion, what is it? Like 3 billion daily active users or something? Yeah. How can a survey of 100 people ever be very useful? useful. Yeah. Um, so for them, they ship stuff. You know, you, you could ship stuff to 2 million people. And that's like a fraction of your. Yeah. <laughs> your that's a user like, it could be horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not really going to, it's a blip for yeah. them. So like they, they, for them, I think moving fast and breaking stuff probably makes more sense than. Because of their scale, because of the scale, like, yeah, you gotta ship something there to see if it actually works. Because how does a uh, how does interviewing fifty people out of
0: here's what else I think they're saying though, and I haven't worked at Facebook. This is just my theory. Um, for most large scale organizations, or organizations of an almost any size. A thing that happens politically is to move to this place where people are worried about safety mm. and is and decisions become harder to make because people want to make sure that the decision, decisions are approved and I think part of what Facebook did especially early on is like they wanted people to get stuff done yeah. and so rather than worry that you were going to be making a, like most decisions can be undone most things even if you break them can be fixed so prioritize speed over caution yeah um which especially if you're a young company it is freaking fantastic advice because bureaucracy slows organizations down everyone's afraid to lose their job everyone's afraid to lose their job because there's no safety and if you make mistakes we're just going to fire you right but if it's if the company culture is it's okay to break stuff, then you're encouraging people to take chances because they know it's okay to break stuff, right, if, if it's part of your company's mantra, it's actually pretty, I mean, I don't know if that was their intent, but if it was, it's, it's a pretty savvy way to let people know it's okay to screw up in the interest of speed. Because there's, you know, a lot of non-innovative organizations, they are the opposite. They would rather have the security of not making mistakes rather than innovation. It's what they've chosen to prioritize. They want decisions tr- triple-checked. You can't have a typo in something, right? That would be unforgivable because their culture is around perfection, not innovation. Um, innovation works better in a place where, where people aren't afraid of making mistakes.
1: Uh, I agree. I actually, in, in my experience, I, those tend to be the feature factories.
0: Yeah, you know, we're, because we're, it's
1: prescriptive. We know what we're building. Everyone's afraid of their job, and so or keeping their job, right? And so here's what we're building, and here's the order that is being built in, and crank it out.
0: Right. And don't don't rock the boat. Don't question the priorities. Just go and make stuff because this is what we want. Not we don't know what we want. We think you as as educated professionals can help us figure it out if you're allowed to make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: this has been an awesome conversation. I'm looking forward to doing more of these. Um, I Even even this has caused me to think about some of the next episodes we're going to be doing on, on these topics. Um, especially, you know, the, since this is about innovation and we're trying to get this information out to as many people as we can, I, I'm looking forward to getting feedback from viewers and hearing the kinds of questions they have. Um, I did have one one more thought before we wrap up. You were talking about the, the size of Facebook and, and the scale just causing problems. Um, with, with surveys, with user groups, with intervie- interviews, you know, for somebody who's, who's beginning in the innovation space, um, what, what, what kind of, thi- what size of groups are we, should uh, a new company, a, a fresh company start trying to target and ask questions to how how small is too small and how big is too big if if you know we're a brand new startup and we're looking to actually validate some of our ideas
2: yeah i think that's a great question i i've been involved in a lot of incubators so i've heard this one so many times i i'll try to be like a robot in my response but there's basically two things to consider one is the industry which basically is just an indication of the size of the market you're going at uh, the second thing is the strength of the signal you're receiving so if you know if, if you're in b2b SaaS and you talk to 20 SaaS companies about this this problem you think you're trying to solve and 18 of them say absolutely we feel that problem and build on it you probably may not need to go much deeper you could you know there's all kinds of statistics behind this but if you talk to 20 people and like seven or eight or 10 or 11 say yeah like we we have that right so i think it's it's the intensity of the response that you're the responses you're receiving and the quantity of those that level of intensity and, and the way you hear it, a lot of people say this is you should go after shark bite paints um, that's because it's easier to validate shark bite paints if you're if you're getting like a mosquito bite then everyone gets mosquito bites so people can solve that of ways but there's like pretty prescribed ways to help someone who's been bitten by a shark right right and so if you if if you're a new startup you should be talking to as many people as you need to get a gauge on the intensity of the problem you're solving and how many people feel it that intensely
1: yeah yeah no that makes sense I I came into this you know from the data and analyst space right and so so much of our analysis has been built on like solid data, repeatable behaviors, yeah. that kind of stuff. And it's been such an interesting mind shift, mindset shift to go, oh, actually the emotional response is the signal. Yep. That's the part that we want to pay attention to. That's mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that as far as innovation goes, those are, those are really where you find the problem spaces that we're going to. Oh, yeah. try to solve right Absolutely. which is why our next episode is likely going to be about living in those problem spaces and, and talking about what that signal looks like so yeah, yeah I think we've I think we kind of well we're right at an hour or at least according to me I don't know what the rest yes. of okay. awesome so I just want to thank you guys for having this conversation yeah. This has okay. been fun I'm looking forward to doing this again um, for those of you watching thank you thank you so much for watching this is an innovative community podcast Please join the community. With, there's going to be links to the Discord. Uh, our shows are on YouTube, and we're going to be posting content to Twitter. Again, on YouTube, it is called Nerd Community. Uh, Twitter is at NerdUnited1. Go give those a follow, and uh, start innovating, guys. We'll look for, we look forward to it. And
0: we'll try to get this stuff up on Spotify, Apple Music, that kind
1: of thing. Spotify, Apple Music, all the good more places. Platforms, the better. Yeah, exactly. Um, people here are asking where, we can, where they can watch it, so it's time to put that list together. Cool. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much.